And so we continue after a short break to learn the Sechet Rosh Hashanah. We find ourselves on Daf Kaf Chet Ahmed Aleph, line 22, word 6. And this year comes to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash of Melbourne, Australia. And so we're learning about how to blow the shofar and under what conditions is blowing the shofar. Yot said, does it fulfill the obligation and does it not? Amar of Yehuda, shofar shol ola lo yitaka. One should not use a shofar of an ola, of an animal designated as a burnt offering. Rashi says it's before it shechted, it's alive, but you've already designated the animal for this purpose. One should not cut off the uh, shofar and blow with it um, because one is using a consecrated animal. And once something has been consecrated for the Bet Mikdash, it's not to be used for anything else. Ve'im taka yatsa. But if you do blow with it, you are yatsa. You have fulfilled the obligation. And the reason for that is because by using it for your own purposes, you're actually transgressing the prohibition of me'ila, which means using something Kodesh for non-Kodesh purposes, and you've done something wrong, but when you perform me'ila, the consecrated item becomes non-consecrated. So you shouldn't use it for a shofar, but if you do, then it ceases to be consecrated and you've fulfilled your obligation. Continues Rav Yehuda, but if you use a shofar from an animal designated as shlamim, you shouldn't blow the shofar with it, the imtaka lo yatsa. And if you do blow, you're not yatsa. My timer, what's the reason for the difference? And the answer is Ola bat me'ilahi. As we've said, an Ola is subject to me'ila, which means you shouldn't, you, if you use it for another purpose, you are committing the prohibition of me'ila. But kevon de ma'alba, once you have done me'ila with it, nafkala lechulim. It, beca- it goes out of its consecrated status and becomes non-concentrated, and you can use it. Shlomim delav b'nei me'ila ninhu. Now, Shlomim, uh, the, the reason why some korbanot are subject to me'ila and some are not is beyond the scope of this shir. But let's just say Shlomim are not subject to me'ila, so they don't cease to be consecrated at any stage. Isura hu derachiv bahu. The Isur is still literally riding on it. The Isur, the prohibition of using Shlomim because it's consecrated, cannot be taken away. And it says in brackets, It doesn't go out to Chulim. Now, on that distinction, we raise a question. Rava. Rava says, In the case of the Ola, you use the Shofar. When do you commit the act of Me'ila? After you've blown. So what I said before is when you're blowing the shofar, you're committing an act of me'ila, and therefore it ceases to be consecrated. But what exactly is the timeline here? It says, rather, you only commit me'ila after you've got the benefit, after you've blown the shofar, which means kikataka bi'isurataka. When you're actually doing the blowing, you're blowing with something prohibited. Eila amar rava. But rava says, what we said in the name of Rav Yehuda was not correct. Whether it's Ola, which does have Me'ila, whether it's Shlomim, which doesn't have Me'ila, if you blow the shofar from such an animal, you're not fulfilled your obligation. At least that's what Rava used to say. Hada Amar, then he changed his mind and he said, Whether it's Ola or whether it's Shlomim, you are Yatsa. Why? And now we come to a fascinating and important principle. Mitzvot lav lehenat nitnu. 
mitzvot were not given to us as a benefit. When I blow a shofar, I'm not receiving benefit. I'm doing a mitzvah, but I'm not receiving benefit. The Maharal waxes lyrically on this point and says that we see from this that we, are do, we do mitzvot not for, to make ourselves better, not to make ourselves kinder, gentler people or anything like that, but because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has told us to do the mitzvah. And that, he says, is the basis for this principle, which, we're, as we're about to see, applies in many cases, mitzvot lav lehenit ninnu. So by doing a mitzvah, one is not gaining a benefit. What's the nafkimina? What, what difference does that make? Well, we're going to see a number of cases. So the first two are not directly related, but we'll get them. Amor of Yehuda, shalavodazara lo yitka If you use a shofar, which has been designated for Avodah for idolatry, um, it's been given to an idol as a present, that's something that one mustn't use, but if you do use it, then you uh, have fulfilled the obligation. Now, an Ir Hanidachat is a city where the majority of people have turned to idolatry, and it's a city that must be raised to the ground. If you come across an Ir Hanidachat and something hasn't yet been raised to the ground, and you find a shofar, can you use it to fulfill the mitzvah? Lo yitka. You should not blow with it. Ve'imtaka lo yatsa. And if you do blow with it, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. My timer, and in particular, what's the reason for the difference between the shofar of Avodah and the shofar of Eir Hanidachat? The answer is, Eir Hanidachat ketute michtat, shi'ura. And Eir Hanidachat, it's, everything in there is designated to be destroyed. So in some respects, the way halacha works, it's as if it's already been destroyed, which means the shi'ur, the amount of shofar that you need, has been cut away. How much shofar do you need? So we learned that last night. The shear tekiah is you hold a shofar in your hand and a little bit is visible on both ends. So about that much shofar. But if you pick up a shofar from Eir Hanidachat, how long is it? Well, halachically, it's not long at all. It's got no length at all because it's due to be destroyed. Therefore, it's as if it's already been destroyed and it has no shi'ur and therefore you can't use it. Amar Rava, Rava says, Hamoda hanoa mi so Reuven takes an oath that Reuven will not give any benefit to Shimon. Muta litkoalo to kiyashon mitzvah. Reuven is permitted to blow the shofar of the mitzvah for Shimon, even though Reuven's taken an oath that he will not give any benefit to Shimon. So how can he blow the shofar? Because of the principle that we learned a few lines above, mitzvah lav lehenet ninhu. Mitzvah were not given to get benefit. So although Shimon has fulfilled the mitzvah by listening to Reuben's blowing, that is not called a benefit, and therefore that doesn't transgress the oath that Reuben took not to give any benefit to Shimon. Then we go on to different subjects. For Amar Rava, Hamoda Hanami Chavero, and Rava also says, somebody who takes an oath not to give benefit to his fellow, Mazer alav mechatat can sprinkle on him the waters of what's called mechata, which means the water with the ash of the para aduma, the red heifer sprinkled into it, which is used to get people out of a state of tumor. They have a seven-day purification process. On the third and the seventh day, somebody sprinkles some of this water onto them. And even though Reuven said he won't give any benefit to Shimon, he can sprinkle these waters onto Shimon. Um, uh, however, he can only do this in the winter and not in the summer. Because in the summer, 
the water has a dual purpose. On the one hand, it purifies. On the other hand, it cools you down. It's quite nice to have water sprinkled on you in the heat of the summer. And that is a benefit. That's a real benefit. So Reuben can't do that to Shimon in the summer. Someone who takes an oath, they're not going to get any benefit from this uh, spring. Toval bol to vila mitzvah. One can immerse in the spring, which is like a super mikvah, um, uh, if you're doing a tevila shol mitzvah. Because, even though you're using the spring, you're not getting benefit from doing a mitzvah. However, the same qualification applies. You can do it in the winter, but you can't do it in the summer. Because in the summer, the spring has a dual purpose. It's metaher, it purifies, but it's also nice to be cooled down in the spring in the summer. That's a benefit that you've taken an oath not to get. Next story, which is not totally unrelated. They sent to Avur the Shmuel the following halachic principle. They forced him and he ate matzah. Yatzah. He has fulfilled his obligation. So we're about to see what type of forcing that is. But somebody is forced by something else to eat matzah. That's still counted as fulfilling the mitzvah of Achilat Matzah. But the Gemara says straight away, Kafa'u man, who forced him? Ilema Kafa'u Shade. If you say that it's a demon that forced him, which we would translate, and the Gemara clearly agrees with this, as some sort of mental illness. So he's mentally ill, he's not in control of his own actions, something else, if you like, is in control of him. And in that state, he eats matzah. And we've said that he's yotzeh. But that doesn't work. That can't be the explanation. Because for Hatanya, we've learned in a brighter, itim chalim, itim shoter. A person can be sometimes um, okay, but ill, uh, and sometimes can be shoter, mad. Keshehu chalim, harehu kepikeach lechol when he's not in the throes of the demon or the mental instability, he's like a sensible person, a fully compassmentous person in all respects. Kushuhu shoter, but when he's gone mad, harehu kushoter He's like a mad person in all respects, which means he's not obliged in mitzvot and doesn't fulfill mitzvot. So if you say that uh, the message to the Shmuel is talking about somebody who's forced by a demon, i.e. by mental illness, to do something over which he's not in control, that can't be, because we learned in a brighter that when you're in such a state, no mitzvah counts. So therefore, Amarav Ashi, Shekafol Parsi'im. Persians, non-Jewish soldiers, forced him. They force-fed him. He's sitting there minding his own business, and along come these Persians, and they stuff matzah in his mouth. And we said, that is Yotzeh. Now, that leads on to another discussion of a fundamental principle. Amarava, Zot Omeret Hatokea Lashir Yotza. Rava says this t- shows that if you blow the shofar just to make a nice tune, you are Yotza, you have fulfilled your obligation. Just as the poor fellow who's eating matzah but not intending to eat matzah. So rather compares that to someone who blows the shofar and produces all the right notes, but doesn't intend to fulfill the mitzvah, says rather he is Yotzeh. The Gemara says, Pshita, it's obvious, Hainachach, it's the same thing. If we've learned about the person force-fed matzah, why does rather need to tell us about the person blowing the shofar for a song? It's the same thing. In both cases, they don't have the intention to fulfill the mitzvah, but in both cases, they do. 
What might you have thought? Why does Rav need to say this? You might have thought the two cases are not analogous. In the case of eating matzah, the Torah says, eat matzah. And this guy who was force fed, he ate matzah. So you might think that's why he's Yotzer, because he actually did what the Torah says. We turn over the page and we find ourselves on the top of Kafchet Omer Bet. But here in the case of blowing the shofar, Zichron Teruah Ketiv. It says, not just you shall blow, but you shall have a memory of blowing. In other words, you should be consciously and deliberately blowing for the sake of the mitzvah. But this guy who's blowing for the sake of a song, he's mitasek. He's just occupying himself with the shofar, but he's not intending to fulfill the mitzvah. You might have thought that's different from the matzah case. Kamash Malan, Rabbi comes to teach you, it is indeed the same. But now we say, so Rava has said that blowing the shofar without intending to fulfill the mitzvah, you are still yotze. Says the Gemara, Alma kasavar Rava. So we see that Rava holds mitzvot ein surichat kavana. Mitzvot do not need kavana. Because we've just seen two cases where somebody did the act of a mitzvah without intending to fulfill the mitzvah. And yet they are yotze. The person who's force fed matzah and the person who is blowing the shofar for a song. So says the Gemara that rather holds that you don't need to be intending to fulfill the mitzvah in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Eighthly, we bring a apparent contradiction. And the Mishnah in Brachas says, Hayakore Torah. Somebody was just merrily reading the Torah. They opened the Chomish or the Sefer Torah and they read, oh, this is nice. And they came to what we call the Shema. And they read in the Torah the Shema. The Hegia Zaman. And it, arrived, it is the time for reciting the Shema. Hamikra. So the guy reading. Im kivein libo yatsa, the im lav lo yatsa. If he intended, if he intended his heart, he has fulfilled his obligation. The im lav lo yatsa. And if not, he's not fulfilled his obligation. What does this sound like? It sounds like he needs kavana. He needs intention to fulfill the mitzvah. And we say, my love, kivan libo let Is this not that the Mishnah is saying he has to fulfill his heart, he has to intend his heart to fulfill the obligation, precisely in contradistinction to what Rabbah said, who said, mitzvah ein sarichat kavana. The Gemara answers by saying, no, lo, likrat. When it says, if he has intention, it means he has intention to read. But it doesn't mean he needs intention to be Yotzeh. But then the Gemara doesn't understand that. Likrot ha-kakari. How can you say he needs intention to read? The guy's reading. That's exactly what he's doing. So obviously he's got intention to read. In which case, when the Mishnah says he needs intention, especially, it must be intention to fulfill the mitzvah, contradiction to Rava. So the Gemara says, no, even though he's reading, Kakari Bakore, sorry, Bakore Lahagia. We're dealing in a case where somebody's reading just to check. So we now say he, oh, I say he really is reading a Sefer Torah, and he's looking at all the letters to check that they are written in a kosher fashion, and there's no mistakes in the Sefer Torah. So the Gemara says, during the Mishnah says, if he has intention, which we now say is intention not just to look at the letters, but actually to read them, and he happens to be reading the relevant parak. And it's the right time for Kriyat Shema, he's Yotzeh. 
which, according to this interpretation, agrees with Rava that you don't need specific intention to fulfill the mitzvah. Toshma. Let's bring another proof. We saw this last time. Somebody's passing behind a shul. Or his house was next door to the Bet Knesset. The Shema Kol Shofar. And he heard the voice of the Shofar. Or Kol Megillah. Or if it was Purim, he heard the Megillah being read. Again, the Mishnah says the same phrase. If he had intention, he's Yotzer. If he doesn't have intention, he's not Yotzer. And what do we mean by if he has intention? My love, im Surely it means if he had intention to fulfill the mitzvah. So we see that he only is Yotzeh if he has intention to be Yotzeh, which is a contradiction to Rava's statement. Lo, no, we reject that. That's not what im libo means. It doesn't mean if he had intention to fulfill his obligation, but rather lishmoa, he had intention to listen, not to dafka fulfill his obligation. So we support, we don't contradict Rava. Hang on a minute, says the Gemara. Lishmoa v'hashema. How can you say he needs intention to listen? He's listening. You'll notice this exactly parallels the previous case where we said, how can you say he has intention to read? He's reading. So we're following the same way. Surely he's reading, which must mean he has intention. Sorry, sorry, he's listening. Thank you. Which must mean he has intention to listen. Uh, So how can you say... The Mishnah means if he had intention to listen. And the answer is, He thought he was hearing a donkey. In other words, he hears a sound. And the lowest level of engagement is he just hears some sound. He doesn't know if it's a chauffeur or a donkey. He's not paying attention. Says the Mishnah, which we're now saying means if he had intention to dafka hear. Not to fulfill the mitzvah, but it said, ah, oh, rather than just hearing a donkey braying in the distance, he cocks his ear, as it were, and listens carefully to the beautiful sounds. But he doesn't need to have intention to fulfill the mitzvah. We're supporting Rava. Eight vei, here comes another contradiction. Nitkavein shemoa, below nitkavein mashmia. Okay. When somebody blows the shofar for somebody else, so Reuben's standing up there on the bimah blowing the shofar, Shimon is a Jew in the pew, and he's listening, and he is Yodzeh. But if the listener had intention, but the mashmia, the one who makes heard, i.e. the shofar blower, in our story, Reuben, did not have intention, or the other way around, mashmia below nitkavein shmoa, the, the, the make herder, which is the blower, which is Reuben, had the intention to make herd, but the listener did not have the intention. Uh, sorry, the blower had the intention. We don't know what intention it is. And the listener did not have the intention. Lo yatsa, he's not yatsa, the listener. Until both the listener and the blower had intention. Now, we don't know what intention that is. And we're going to try and work out, does that mean intention to be Yotze or not? Bishlema nitkavein mashmia. It's okay if we can, we can talk about the kavana of the mashmia. Velo nitkavein shemoa. The list, sorry, the blower had intention, but the listener did not have intention. What case could that be? It could be kusavor hamar ba'almahu. It could be that the listener was just hearing what he thought was the voice of a donkey. 
and then he had intention to listen to the um, uh, to, to actually listen to the shofar, not to fulfill his obligation. So when it says mashmia lo nitkavein, sorry nitkavein mashmia v'lo nitkavein shemara, we get it that the sorry the shemara doesn't have any intention at all. He just listens as if it's a donkey brain. Then he's not fulfilled his obligation, implying that the next level up, the shemara has to list has to have intention. That's just to listen, but still not to fulfill the obligation. Okay, so that's okay. We can fit that in with Rava. Ela, but what about the other side? Nitkavein Shemoa, velo nitkavein mashmia. The Shemoa, the listener, had intention, but the blower did not have intention. Now, what does it mean that the blower did not have intention? Heichi meshkachetla. How can we uh, find a case where this happens? Love v'tekoa l'shir. Is it not in the case where he was blowing in order to make a song, which means that and that's when he didn't have intention. So if he did have intention, that must mean he had intention to be Yotze. And therefore, we would learn that you do need intention to be Yotze in order to be Yotze. And that would be a contradiction to Rava. No, Dilma Dekarman Magabach Nabuchi. Maybe he's just like barking. In other words, maybe he's just picked up the chauffeur and making random noises on it. If that's like the lowest level, then when the Mishnah says the mashmia, the blower, needs intention, that would go one level up and that would refer to he intends to make a nice tune, but not yet that he intends to fulfill the obligation. So we can still read it as saying when the blower has intention, that's intention to make a nice tune as opposed to just to make barking noises. So we're still supporting Rava. We're still holding mitzvah, ain't surichat kavana. Mitzvah do not need kavana. Amaleah Abayah says, but based on what he said, what Rava has said, somebody who sleeps in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeret should be whipped. Okay, little sideline here, because it happens to be a hobby horse of mine. Do we sit in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeret? Now, Abayah is talking about the situation in Eretz Yisrael where Sukkot lasts for seven days, Shemini Atzeret is a separate Chag, it's not the continuation of Sukkot. And if one sleeps in the Sukkot on Shemini Atzeret, says Abaya, even without intention, because Rabbi says you don't need intention, then you have committed the sin of Baal Tosif. You have added to the mitzvah. You have seven days to sleep in the Sukkot. Abaya says, based on what Rabbi is saying, that you don't need Kavana. If you go into your sukkah on Shemini Atzeret and you have a little shluf, you are, even if you don't intend to, you're transgressing Baal Tosif. Because instead of seven days of sitting in the sukkah, you've made it eight days. Please note that in Chutzvah Aretz, where sukkah, the first day of Shemini Atzeret is also Sophic, the eighth day of sukkah, oh sorry, Sophic, the seventh day of sukkah, it says explicitly in the Gemara and in the Rambam and in the Shulchan Aruch that we sit in the sukkah and we make kiddush in the sukkah, and we eat in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeret outside of Israel. There are some Hasidic groups which have a minhag uh, on an obscure basis not to sit in the sukkah. There are some people who are not Hasidim who say, I have a minhag not to sit in the sukkah on Shmini Atzeret. In my opinion, 
that is an incorrect minhag, like many people's minhagim. You know, some people have a minhag to drive to Shul on Shabbos, so that doesn't make it right. And some people have a minhag not to sit in the sukkah on Shemin Atzeret. That goes against an explicit Gemara and Rash, uh, sorry, and Rambam and Shulchan Arach. And in my opinion, um, should not be maintained. And I speak with the authority of many, many much greater people than me. No, you don't say a bracha. Now, having said all that, the general minhag, if you, for those who sit in the sukkah, is to not say a bracha. That's, that's because you don't want to mezalzel shminat seret. You don't like to want to insult shminat seret by making a bracha, which is sukkah. But you still have the mitzvah to sit in the sukkah. Um, the minhag is not to sleep in the sukkah. On Shminatzer. Even for those who are makpid, particularly to sleep in the sukkah on sukkah, they don't sleep in the sukkah on Shminatzer. Although the Vilna Gaon, by the way, did. Anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way. It's not far away, it's less than a month away. Um, uh, well, a month and a week to get to Shminatzer. It's an argument every year, and I'm right. <laughs> I'm going to say it, because I, I shouldn't, I, that was a little bit wrong. There are very great people who hold by the minhag of not sleeping in the sukkah, not sitting in the sukkah on Shminatzer, but that comes from a Hasidic basis. And people who are not Hasidim should not be hopping onto a minhag that their great-grandfather had, which might have been on a Hasidic basis, if there's nothing else in their life that they do, which like their great-grandfather did. Okay, you can all join me in my Sukkot Shemina Um Check my wife. Okay, so, but Abaya says, backing back to the story here, that Rava says you don't need Kavana to do a mitzvah. So even if you're just having a shluf in the Sukkot on Shemina in Israel, you are transgressing Baal Tosif. And you should get the punishment for Baal which is being whipped. That's what Abaya says. However, that's not the halacha. So Abaya is really challenging Rava with this implication. Amar Lo says Rava back to him, Sha'ani Omer, I say, mitzvot eina over alehen eila bismanan. No, you don't transgress a mitzvah by adding to it except in the time of the mitzvah. So Rashi says here, like he says in the, in the Chumash, on Baal Tosef, he gives the example of having five sections in the tefillin except, instead of the normal four, or five minim on, with the lulav instead of four. So that is at the time, let's take lulav. So today is Sukkot, you've got a mitzvah to shake four minim. If you shake five minim, today, at the time of the mitzvah of lulav, you are adding to the mitzvah of Lulav, that is called Baltosif. So at the time that the mitzvah applies, you can't add to it. But the mitzvah of sleeping in the sukkah applies for the seven days of sukkot. It doesn't apply in Shemini Atzeret. So if you do do sleeping in the sukkah, you, you're not over Baltosif because you're not adding to the mitzvah at the time that the mitzvah applies. That's how Rava answers Abayah's question. Meitiv Rav Shemen Bar Ava. Rav Shemen Bar Ava brings a uh, an attack uh, on uh, Rava's position about Baltosif. Now notice, by the way, and this is going to be significant, this attack comes from a Brysa. We don't even know where it is, I think. It doesn't come from a Mishnah. Remember that. Mm-hmm. How do we know that a Kohen who goes up to Duchen should not say the following? Since the Torah has given me permission to bless Israel with the Birch HaKonim, I'm going to add an extra bracha from me. Like I'm going to say, Hashem 
the God of your fathers should add to you. How do we know that the Kohen shouldn't do that? You've got three brachas in Birch HaKohenim. How do we know you shouldn't add a fourth? Talmud Lomar, lo tosifu al hadavar. Don't add to the thing, or it could be read as don't add to the word, don't add to what you're saying. That's the proof that a Kohen should not add a fourth bracha. V'ha'hacha, keven debarich avra le'zamane. But here, he's done his mitzvah of saying Birchat Kohenim, all three. So his mitzvah has gone, and it's no longer for him the time to do Birchat Kohenim. V'ketani da'avar. And yet we say that he has transgressed Baal Tosif. So we see a rejection of Rava's position, that Baal Tosif only applies at the time that the mitzvah still applies. Because here we have a Kohen, who's done his mitzvah Birchat Kohenim, Therefore, the mitzvah no longer applies, and yet we're saying he's transgressing Baal Tosif if he adds an extra bracha. And the answer is, We're dealing in a case where he hasn't finished Birch HaKonim. So he's still in the time where the mitzvah Birch HaKonim applies to him. And that's why we can maintain Rav's position that he is over Baal Tosif because he's still at the time where he's got to finish off Birch HaKonim. He hasn't yet finished Birchat Kohenim. Vahatanya, but we've learned in a brighter Siam, he has finished. That's a problem. How can you say, ah, he hasn't finished Birchat Kohenim, when the Brighter says, he's finished? Answer, doesn't mean he's finished Birchat Kohenim. Siam Birchat Achat. He's finished one Bracha, but he's still got two to go, so he's still in the mode of Birchat Kohenim. The mitzvah still applies, and therefore the Baltosif adding a mitzvah still applies. Vahatanya, hold on, we've learned in another brighter, Siam kol birchatav, He has finished all his brachas. So we've had three different readings of this brighter, and the third says, conclusively and explicitly, he's finished all his brachas. Now once he's finished all his brachas, he's no longer liable, fitting to, or no, sorry, he's no longer obliged to do birchas kohenim. The time for the mitzvah has passed, and therefore, how can you say he's over Baltosif by adding an extra bracha, according to Rava, who says Baltosif only applies at the time of the mitzvah, which, by the way, let's not forget, was his answer to Abayah's kasha about sleeping in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeret. Why doesn't that count as Baltosif if Rava says you don't need kavana for mitzvah? Shani Hacha, the guy doing Birchus Kohenim, is different. Kavon, so we've just said in the Brisa that he's absolutely finished all three brachot, but if he happens to come across another tzibur, he can carry on giving a bracha. So the, our Cohen, Mr. Cohen, has been to Shul, Mizrahi, of course, first minion, and he does bircha kohenim. Um, it's Yomtev, so it has to be the Hashkama minion, which is the best minion in town. And then he stays in Shul because he carries on learning. He doesn't go to the Kiddush in Shir, which is strange because that's a good part of the Hashkama minute. But he stays in Shul. And well, lo and behold, he looks up from his learning and they're doing Bircha Kohenim again. So he goes up and he duchens. So we see that the mitzvah actually lasts the whole day because he's always got a potential of doing Bircha Kohenim. And therefore, when he says to himself, I'm going to add a fourth bracha, he is still at the time when the mitzvah applies. So we've maintained Rabba's position that he, uh, Baltosif applies at the time of the mitzvah. Umana Timra. And why do we say this? Why do we say that 
Baltosif applies. In other words, we're now going to bring another proof. It's a bit complicated, this one. Let's see how we go. Diknan, we've learned, and this time it's a Mishnah. Remember, I pointed out that earlier, the bit of the Cohen story was a Breiter. That this one, which is not brought in the name of Rav Shemin Bar Abba, but it's just brought in the name of the Gemara, is a Mishnah. Okay, there are different Korbanot, which are treated in the, on the Mizbeach in different ways. And uh, if we read Ezel Mekaman every morning, we'll know that some Korbanot, their blood is sprinkled on the four corners of the Mizbeach. A uh, chatat is one corner, one corner, one corner, one corner. Most of the others are two corners at once, but four altogether. Two corners at once, and then two corners at once. And there are other korbanot which are just sprinkled their blood once. A bachor and a korban uh, pesach, they're sprinkled once. Now, what happens if the blood of one korban and the blood of another korban gets mixed up? You still have to sprinkle it. Now, if that's the blood of the same number of sprinkles, that's not a problem. But where we're going with this is what happens if you mix up the blood of four, type, four sprinkles with the blood of one sprinkle. And that's what Gemara says. And the Mishnah says, I'm sorry. So we're in the first wide line on Kaf Chet Omebet. Blood which is due to be put onto the Mizbeach in one go. Which is mixed up with the blood of another korban, which is also to be sprinkled with one go. What do you do? Not a problem. You give it one um, go. However, well, the next case is also equally simple. Blood that has to be sprinkled four times is mixed up with blood that has to be sprinkled four times. You not know b'matan arba. You sprinkle it four times. That's easy. But you can see what the problem's going to be. Matan arba b'matan achat. Blood that needs to be sprinkled four times is mixed up with blood that needs to be sprinkled one time. What do you do? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, yinitnu b'matan arba. Rabbi Eliezer says, you give it four sprinkles. So if the blood that came from the four sprinkles, you're doing fine. But the blood that came from the one sprinkle is now sprinkled four times instead of one. That's Rabbi Yezer's position. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, you only sprinkle it once. So the blood that came from the one sprinkle animal, it's fine. The blood that came from the four sprinkle animal, it's missing three of its sprinkles. Amalo Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yezer, who believes in four sprinkles, says, Harehu over Abal Tigra. You're transgressing the opposite of Baltosif, but a parallel. That Baltosif means adding to the mitzvah, and Baltigra means subtracting from the mitzvah. So the blood that needs to be sprinkled four times, you've only sprinkled it once, you're over the transgression of Baltigra. You've subtracted from the Mishnah. Amalo Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua replied to him, Harehu over Abaltosif. You, my friend, who says sprinkle four times, you're doing the precise opposite, but also a transgression. Because the blood that should be sprinkled once is being sprinkled four times. That is Baltosef. Amalei Rebeliezer, lo ne'emar Baltosef, eile kashuhu ba'atzmo. No, Rebeliezer says, I'm not worried about Baltosef, because that only applies when the blood's by itself. In other words, if I had one sprinkled blood on its own, and I sprinkled that four times, that would be Baltosef. But when they're mixed together, it's not. Amalei Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua said, Lone Emar Baltigra, Eleka Shahuba Atzmo. 
Well, I'm going to say exactly the same thing. You're accusing me of Baltigra of de- de- reducing the mitzvah by only sprinkling once, even though some of the blood should be sprinkled four times. That only applies when the blood's on its own. For Odomar Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua said something else to defend his position, which is the one sprinkle. Kashalo natna averat al Baltigra, velo asita masa If you don't sprinkle, Sorry, if you don't sprinkle, avarta abaltigra, you have transgressed, don't reduce, I accept that, but below asita masa you haven't done an active thing. You've failed to sprinkle three times, but that is, called, that is not actively doing something which is wrong. It's inactively doing something which is wrong. However, in your case, when you do sprinkle four times, Including the blood showing sprinkled once, Avarta al Baltosif. You have transgressed Baltosif, the Asita Masa and you've done an actual act. That surely is worse. Okay, end of the Mishnah, end of our interest in the argument of Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eza. We're just interested in one point, and that is this. Here, if you give, if sprinkle the blood of the Bachor, um, once you, so you've got the blood of the Bechor, that's a one sprinkle blood, and you end up sprinkling it four times. But if you sprinkle it once, um, you've done the mitzvah, and therefore you're no longer in the time when the mitzvah applies, because the blood has been sufficiently sprinkled, the blood mitzvah has been done. So when you come to the additional three sprinkles, you're not anymore in the time when the mitzvah applies. Vukatani, but nevertheless we learnt to Avar Mishum Baal Tosif. Rabbi Eish, uh, Rabbi Eliezer, no, Rabbi Yeshua accused Rabbi Eliezer of Baal Tosif, even after he'd done the first sprinkle for the blood of a Bachor, of a firstborn animal, when the mitzvah is finished. So how can Rava say, like he's been saying, in order to maintain his position earlier on, based on the uh, sleeper in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeret, that in the mitzvah of Baltosif, the prohibition of Baltosif only applies when the mitzvah still applies. So we have in our Mishnah a contradiction to that. Lav mishum da amrivan came unto Edom mitzrame le'bachra achrina hadar mazer mine. So maybe the answer is that Rava would say, that the mitzvah is not finished. Because if I came across another Bechor, which needed sprinkling, I would sprinkle the blood. So all day is blood sprinkle mitzvah. So it's not true to say that the mitzvah is finished with the first sprinkle, because I've always got the opportunity of doing another sprinkle in the same day. Just like the Kohen, he's, not, he's finished Birchah Kohenim, but who knows, maybe he'll have the opportunity to do it again the same day. So in both cases we say it's still Zaman Mitzvah. Unlike Shemini Atzeret, which is definitely not Zaman Mitzvah Sukkah. So then the Gemara says, Mimai, how do you know that it's because that if you find come across another Bachor, another firstborn animal, you've still got the Mitzvah sprinkling. Dilma Kisavar Yeshua, Mitzvah over Alehen, Afilu Shalobizmanam. Maybe Rabbi Yeshua holds that, contrary to Rava's position, that uh, the, you could be transgressing the mitzvah of Baal Tosif even at a time which is not the time of the uh, mitzvah. 
So don't give me this. Once you've sprinkled one mit- one sprinkling, you finish the mitzvah. But I can still come across another bechor, so it's still, in a sense, the time of the mitzvah. Maybe Rabbi Yeshua says the simplest approach that Baltosif applies, even not at the time of the mitzvah, which would be a problem for Rabbi, because then the person sleeping in the sukkah is transgressing Baltosif, but Rabbi said he isn't, because he hasn't had kavana to do a mitzvah, and mitzvah need kavana. However, the Gemara rejects that last suggestion. The Gemara rejects that opinion of Rav, that maybe Rabbi Yeshua holds that Baltosif applies even not in the time of the mitzvah. And it says as follows, Ana hachi ka'amrina. This is what we're saying. Rav Shemen Ba'aba. Now Rav Shemen Ba'aba was the one who brought the case of the Kohen. And we now say, My timer shavik matnitin umotemibraita. Why did he reject the Mishnah and choose the Braita to refute Rav? This is why I made a fuss about the fact he quotes the story of the Kohen, which is a Braita, and he didn't bring the story of the Bechor, of the blood, which is a Mishnah. Now, a Braita is pretty good. A Braita is almost equivalent to a Mishnah, but only almost. And if you've got a choice of using a Mishnah, which is basically the same as the Braita, use the Mishnah. Why didn't he? Or Lutiv Mimatnitin. Why didn't... So he should have used the Mishnah to refute. Matnitin, my time alone motive. So why didn't he refute from the Mishnah about the blood? And the answer is, Since he could have found another Bechor, like we said, like Gamora suggested, and we're now proving it. The reason that it's no proof um, that once the mitzvah is finished, you still are over Baltosif, is because maybe you'll find another Bechor, and you'll have to sprinkle the blood, and in the same day, so the whole day is still the time of mitzvah of sprinkling blood. But hold on a minute. Brita nami. That would also apply to the brighter about the Kohen. Since the Kohen's got a chance of finding another tzibur, therefore he will, and in which case he will give the Birchas Kohenim again, the whole day applies his time. So we, we've really just set up the question. We haven't answered it. Why did Rav Shemen choose to go with the Breiter and not the Mishnah? In both cases, we could say, just as the sprinkling of the blood or the Birch Kohenim, the mitzvah carries on and Val Tosif applies in the mitzvah time. And the answer is, Rav Shemen Bar Abba, Hatam lo sagile de lo yahiv. In the case of the Bechor, the, the Mishnah that he didn't quote, then it's not enough that he doesn't give. In other words, if the uh, person who sprinkled the blood of the Bechor comes across another Bechor which needs blood sprinkling, he's got to sprinkle the blood. So it really is an ongoing mitzvah. Because if he comes... We're dealing with a Kohen, by the way. I'm sorry, I should have said it a long time ago. We're dealing with a Kohen who's working in a Bet Mikdash. That's his job. And if he comes across a Bechor which needs sprinkling, he's got to sprinkle. So clearly it's still Zaman mitzvah. And therefore we don't have a refutation of Rava. Because in this case, the Baltosif applies because it's still Zaman mitzvah, like Rava said. But, Hacha, in the case of the Kohen, which is the case that Rav Shemen did bring, Iboi Mavarech, Iboi Namavarech. If he comes across another Tzibur, if he wants to make a bracha, he'll make a bracha. If he doesn't want to make a bracha, he won't make a bracha. So it's not true to say that the mitzvah of Birch Kohenim still applies to him. 
And therefore, and yet we still say he's over Baltosif if he adds a fourth bracha. So it is a refutation of Rava. And, and we stick with the idea that the Mishnah shows that, sorry, the Brysa about the Kohen shows that you can be over Baltosif even though the mitzvah doesn't, um, uh, no longer applies. And if it doesn't mean the Kohen has finished his mitzvah Bechaz Kohenim, because if he comes across another tzibah, he doesn't have to do Bechaz Kohenim again. So we do have a kasha to Rava. So now let us reformulate Rava's opinion. Rava Amar let lo boi kavana. La avor boi kavana. Let us remember, a buyer's attack on Rava was about somebody sleeping in the sukkah and transgressing the negative commandment of not adding to the mitzvah. Now, was that what Rava was really talking about? Rava said that mitzvah need kavana. In order to fulfill the mitzvah, you have to have the intention to fulfill the mitzvah. Abaya said, aha, what about the guy sleeping in the sukkah? Now Rava, oh, the Gemara says on Rava's behalf, no, Rava, Abaya's got it wrong. There's no relationship between needing kavana to fulfill a mitzvah, which is what Rava's been talking about, and the uh, not needing kavana to transgress a mitzvah, which is what Abaya was talking about. The guy sleeping in the sukkah wasn't fulfilling a mitzvah with or without kavana. He was transgressing a mitzvah without kavana, which doesn't work. That's why he's not given lashes. So we can say that Rava says, let's say lo boi kavana, la avor boi kavana. To transgress, he does need kavana. I'm sorry, maybe I said it wrong a moment ago. That's why the guy sleeping in the sukkah doesn't have kavana to transgress the mitzvah of Baltosif, of not adding to the mitzvah. And that is why he is not given lashes. So Abiah tried to use that as a question. Why isn't he given lashes? And the answer is, to transgress, he needs kavana. And he didn't have kavana. But I rather still maintain that to fulfill the mitzvah, any mitzvah, you need kavana to fulfill the mitzvah. Let me just, if you don't mind. Uh, all right, now I'll stop there. Tomorrow night, it's me again. So I know where we're carrying on from. We're carrying on from the penultimate line of Kaf Chet Amadbet. But we haven't quite finished this story. And we, go, we haven't quite finished all the blood uh, sprinkling. But we'll do that tomorrow night. Yeah.